you ever find yourself on a shoot for a TV commercial, then there's a good chance that the director of photography will be male and white. Deepa Keshwala, one of the UK's most sought-after DOPs, is neither of these things. And in this brilliantly refreshing and inspiring conversation, Deepa gives me her unique take on the creative process. She tells me about her first film, Canned, a documentary about meeting her estranged alcoholic father, and why she had to make Kara, a fictionalised version of the same encounter. We talk about the influence of India on her work, about how best to collaborate with a director, and about her role on the extraordinary BAFTA-nominated short Goldfish, and there's a link to Goldfish in the notes to this episode. Plus, Deepa gives me the inside track on one of my all-time favourite commercials, Viva La Volva, which if you haven't seen is well worth looking up. And with great dignity, Deepa explains why, just a couple of months ago, when faced with unethical behaviour on an advertising set, she took the bold decision to walk. I really enjoyed talking to Deepa. It was recorded down the line. I only wish we could have met in person, but um, it was a great conversation. And I really hope you enjoy listening to her just as much as I enjoyed talking to her. Good morning. Morning. <laughs> hey, Deepa. How are you doing? How's things? I'm good. Yeah, really, really good. I'm excited about uh, doing some tier two gallery hopping. A bit of uh, a bit of stimulation. That that's been one of the hardest things, hasn't it? Of this this last yeah. year, it's just like all that stuff that we rely on to be yeah. inspired has, has, has been deprived. Hasn't yeah, it? and I really, really depend on like. I think all filmmakers like new experiences. We all need like new experiences and need yeah. to new, different new perspectives. Exactly, stimulation. Well, thank you very much for joining me today. I'm I'm, I'm super excited to talk to you about um, all the stuff that you've made um, in, in, in a relatively short amount of time as well. But uh, I thought we'd begin at the beginning. So, um, can, can you tell me a little bit about um, about growing up and uh, and and about your early yeah. early life was it was, was it a creative childhood no I wish <laughs> no I don't <laughs> wish actually no I don't wish um no not at all my my okay. dad was um so my parents are immigrants my parents were immigrants Gujarati immigrants um yeah. and my mum was not at all educated she was a she grew up as an agricultural labourer from quite mm. from quite a poor family and my dad um, did have a degree but when he moved over here it wasn't it didn't really stand for anything so he worked as a okay. he worked in the trading estate on a assembly line okay and then they were married until um I was eight and then they divorced but neither of them were uh neither of them were, were creative in the sort of um traditional sense like neither of them yeah. were artists and we didn't watch films really it was if, if we did watch TV, it would be Mahabharat, which is Hindu epic. It's, an, yeah. it's one series consisting of 90 episodes. <laughs> and each episode is like three hours long. So that's what we watched at home. Okay. And then um, and then EastEnders and like a kind of usual uh, trash, I guess. And then, um, and then the odd Disney film. But we really didn't watch a lot at home. Um, 
And then my mum, after my parents divorced, my dad, uh, my mum was a beauty, became a beautician. She uh, went to college and became a beautician. But I think that they both had um, interest, had interesting minds. Um, okay. They're both curious and both um, uh, both had like big hearts. My dad had a very, my dad was a very like spiritual. Um, sort of like spiritually inclined person he'd read a lot of philosophy so even though he wasn't um you know he wasn't doing any of that in his in his vocation he was thinking outside of the he was a very like think he thought outside the box he's a very unorthodox Indian dad um and then my mum was amazing with numbers she's like a, she's got real numbers and technical brain um okay. So it's funny because I we've been trying to work it out. Me and Robbie, a really good friend of mine who's a DP, were trying to work out where where it came from. Me wanting to be a DP, and I was like, I actually think it makes sense in its own right. You know, yeah, yeah there's, there's a curious kind of logic there. Yeah, 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 yeah. You you went you went to India, didn't you? you went back to because you, you still got family in India, and yeah. you you started you took some photographs, and as I yeah. understand from my uh, my research I've been doing um, <laughs> that that was quite a sort of significant moment for you yeah so I um so we grew up like that and then I through school I just was a normal teenager I went to a youth center I used to do film workshops at the youth center um all the creative stuff that I explored was was really through the youth center and through charity through youth charity um yeah. and then um when I was 17 my mum we used to go to India every year when my parents were married. And then when they divorced, my mum couldn't afford to take us. So for about 10 years, we didn't go. And then when I was 17, um, my mum couldn't afford to take us again. And she was like, do you want to go? And I said, yeah, it was a cousin's wedding. And so we went and we went out to the middle of nowhere. I knew my family were in the middle of nowhere, but it's you know, been so long since I visited. And then yeah. I spent three weeks there and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like, who gets to go who's I mean we some some of us in the Indian community do have family in the middle of nowhere but it was so off-grid and like tribal right. like the women in our family have like tro- are covered in tribal tattoos like um yeah really like in nature and and so on that trip I'd got my had my first digital camera I started taking pictures on that trip and then on yeah. my gap year I said I want to go back to India and spend the year in India um so that's what I did I went back and um I that's when I discovered that I wanted to be a DP I, I actually found myself on a Bollywood set on that trip okay. um, I spent half my time in the village and half my time in Bombay there was a friend of a friend of a friend who worked in, on Bollywood and I said I wanted to do some work experience so he said I could and then I saw the Amazing. DP and I was like I want to do that job that's what I want to do and then so I saw that and then went to art college and then everything art everything I did at art college just became centered around India so every brief I got in my holidays in my Christmas holidays I would go over and make sure so one of my the responses to one of my at least one of my briefs would be to go and do a photo project in India so then through uni I started um yeah taking pictures in India the two things combined led to me to being I want to be a cinematographer yeah, because I've I've been lucky enough to go to India a few times, and mm. um, and I'm not sure there's anywhere better in the world to take photographs. Mm. Really, you know, you've got that 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 often you've got that incredible light. Yeah, there's always stuff going on, isn't yeah. it? That's the beautiful thing about India. Where wherever you look, there's 
there's somebody doing something and there's yeah it's, it's, yeah. A, it's a fantastic place visually yeah yeah you can't really take a bad picture in India which isn't <laughs> a good thing either because you take me after a little while you just kind of go I'm just another person taking pictures in India so <laughs> it can get a bit frustrating but I think it was good because I always pushed it so that I wouldn't be taking your I didn't want to be taking your sort of exotic romantic pictures of India I wanted to sh- sort of shoot the not the nitty-gritty but kind of banal everyday India that yeah which wasn't um, sort of photographed so much, which mm-hmm. was really exciting. And I think that's where my love for storytelling came from and people and, yeah, I think that's – I think that taking pictures in India is definitely what led to me to be a DP because I love being close to people. I loved approaching strangers and asking if I could take their picture and then getting to know them. So, And yeah. I think that directly translates to being a camera operator really close to an actor – um and getting to know them and wanting to get inside their head so um yeah I think it was a really amazing sort of not accident but a really interesting way to lead me to this yeah nice how the sort of stars aligned there you know with that experience of taking the photographs and then the the uh, the work experience so when you when you you so you studied at the LCC is that Mm. right and and while you were there you're one of your course instructors said, uh, I'm going to give you a word yeah. and you've got to make a film about it. Yeah. <laughs> can, can, you, can you tell us a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah, we got, um, we were given a word, uh, destroy, the word was destroy. And it, and it said to, um, to dot, to document destruction in any medium of your choice. Okay. Um, and, uh, my dad had left, as I'd mentioned earlier, when I was, my dad had divorced and he left, he disappeared. And I'd been on a sort of like, uh, secret quest to find him, but I needed an excuse to find him because I was too proud. Okay. I was too much of a proud teenager to just like go and be like, I miss you. Where have you been? So uh-huh. I thought there'll be something that prompts me that I can use as an excuse or a reason. And that, and then when we were given that, I was like, oh, perfect. Um, I know my dad's an alcoholic. I know that he's a recluse from what people have said, people have seen him around in Leicester. Yeah. And so, and I and I thought that's like the ultimate form of self-destruction. Well, not the ultimate, it's like one of the many ways of self-destructing. Sure. And it was pretty, uh, when I think back to it now, that the sort of connection is quite twisted <laughs> to go, you know, like man destroys himself, word destroyed. But um, I guess I've been try- looking so hard for a reason to find him that it, right, yeah. that it worked out perfect. And then... Um, yeah, I thought, well, this is an, this is a perfect reason to, to find him and talk to him about what he's sort of, you know, about his journey of self-destruction. Yeah. Uh, and then I can maybe make some peace of the situation simultaneously. Um, and that's what I did. I uh, tracked him down and um, and I turned up at his doorstep, pretty much turned up at his doorstep. And then uh, I said I wanted to make a film about him. I didn't tell him that it was about a man who'd self-destructed, but... I did say that I wanted to make a film about an alcoholic and he said, yeah, fine. And then we sort of um, danced around each other for the weekend in this really strange, like odd way where neither of us talked about what had happened, but we just made this documentary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and the, the, the documentary's called Canned, isn't it? And, do- uh, yeah. Pe- pe- people can watch it online. But it, it's, it's, it, I mean, it's an amazing piece of work, I think, especially given you were, you were quite young, but one of the things that fascinates me is that that you you just kind of rock up, <laughs> having not seen him for years, <laughs> and then you have the like as you say, you you just dance around, don't you? There's yeah. there's no there's no big sort of no. sit down kind of right then 
no chat it's no it's it was really really unusual and, and and that weekend and that's why i made the short the short after that cara because yeah. it, i knew it was weird after i left i was like right. that was so weird like that is not what i thought was going to happen i thought we were going to have like a big reunion obviously i was really upset i was like i thought we were going to have a big emotional right. conversation we'll be able to make up we'd be able to establish some sort of father-daughter relationship because I really really loved him he was like one of my favorite he was my favorite person ever I remember it really vividly he's like my hero I thought he was the coolest guy ever I thought it was really funny and then we were like partners in crime and then he went so I thought it would be this big reunion and it wasn't and then we just like kind of both put our you know put on this facade of like I don't care I don't care I don't care I don't care (laughs) (laughs) and then you've got this weird weekend and um yeah, I think you can maybe feel a bit of my anger in the documentary, can. Yeah. Um, yes. But yes, you you feel that that like there's an, an enormous kind of emotional weight underneath. I think. Yeah. Um, you know, you you feel that when you're watching it, and that yeah. that sort of close up shot at the end. Yeah. Well, and you, yeah. You know, you're just on his eyes. Um, yeah. And 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 so that you you, you made canned, and mm-hmm. then um, and then you've you've after a while you came back and revisited the story with with Cara which is mm. which is a um is, is not a documentary is it or, no. or, or albeit based on them yeah based on the story that actually happened what's that thing they say life is stranger than sometimes <laughs> stranger life than is, yeah life stranger than fiction um, and it was yeah art imitating life for sure and I, I was quite well I was quite curious in a way because I you know I, I watched Canned and then I started watching Cara, and I thought, this is, this is quite odd. Why, why she made this sort of like fictionalized version mm. of something we've already seen a documentary about? Mm. But the, they, 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 you know, by the time I got to the end, I, I understood. I think it's almost that <laughs> it's it's like they're too fit together, don't they? Because yeah. Cara's more about you and. I guess then and Cand is more about him is that right yeah yeah, you yeah. yes that's amazing I'm really glad that it's really amazing to hear it from um yeah hear someone else's understanding of it because I always wonder if that translate yeah that's right. it I always imagine that the two mirror each other and complete each other I guess is one is the man's story and the other is the daughter's story so he passed away about two years after I made the documentary and he never saw the the documentary that I had made. Um, right. And I, and it was something that really um, upset me because I thought that it was, yeah, I just thought it was really sad that like, I thought it could have been something that could help him with his addiction maybe, or, and I, mm-hmm. I did, and I did have a lot of love and empathy for him. And I hope that that would, that would show in the documentary too, that I was like hurting for both of us. And I never showed it to him. And I remember thinking like, man, he, he, maybe he thought that his daughter just showed up and like you know got a performance out of him and and got what mm. she wanted and left and and I, I had a lot of guilt after he passed right. away about like just the way I'd made the documentary how sort of cold I'd been with him how angry I was with him the kind of questions I asked him how intrusive I was how potentially exploitative it was as he was an alcoholic and all of these things and mm. I was like and I never told him I loved him um before he died and he called me he bought a phone I, I think you see it in can he bought a phone yeah. so he could keep in touch with me and he used to call me every now and then and he asked me if, he, if I loved him when I left and I said I didn't know and then the same mm-hmm. thing happened when he he would call me and I never told him I loved him because I was I just felt really angry at him and then when right. he died I was like oh 
I've got to make some, I've got to like make this right in like my own weird way. And I think that I made uh, Cara as sort of mess. It was more sort of me trying to talk to him in his afterlife, like, and say like, you know, I came, you know, you've gone now and I can't say this to you, but like, Mm. um, Mm. you know, if, if, for whatever, if, however you can, if you can watch this, (laughs) you know, Mm. if your spirit comes into the cinema when it screams or like whatever, then I want you to see like that. I didn't hate you and I wasn't angry at you. I was just like hurting and I couldn't articulate it and I couldn't say it. But like, you know, I want you to know that I didn't, I didn't go in there with the intention of exploiting you. I was really hurting. So um, I kind of actually made it more for him weirdly, even though he wasn't alive Um, and for closure, tried to get some closure on that situation. Um, And, 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 And do you feel that you did? I don't know if you truly ever get closure in a situation like that. Like I think you can do as much as you can that it doesn't drive you crazy. Um, I think you can try and quell uh, a heartbreak like that as much Mm. as you can and manage it. But I think you will maybe always be heartbroken by, um, Mm. by like the loss of a parent in that kind of way. So I think that, I think that I definitely, um, when I did see a therapist, she was really impressed and was like, wow, like you've basically done like years of work yourself through making films. <laughs> and I was like, I always wondered, you know, like we all know that making films is therapy, but yeah. it'd be interesting to hear a therapist, you know, because then maybe you go to a therapist and the therapist will say, no, that's not therapy. Like, you know, try again. But I was yeah. really, it was really great because the therapist was like, no, you have really explored <laughs> your right. you nailed it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. she's like this is gonna be a lot cheaper than we <laughs> than i thought um so that was amazing because um yeah i think i did do a lot I, I got to a really 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 uh a place of like peace with it but i think yeah. that i always feel very sad about um Gosh, how his yeah. life panned out and how yeah. you know we never really managed to um yeah have that really you know sort of pick up where we left off but um i'm so 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 glad that i made canned i watch it all the time um Mm. and i think i always encourage young people to make work that's like really close to them Um, it's quite it's quite um it's quite a sophisticated edit you cut it yourself (laughs) is it yeah i I really think it is you know because um it would be you know when you've got that much sort of emotion Mm. uh, invested in the situation Mm. and um, it would be I think be easy to be a bit heavy-handed with it but I I, but I think the the way you've put the film together is 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 really powerful oh thank you it was so hard I really yeah a few times I said I don't want to do it I couldn't bear looking at him I couldn't bear listening to him and you know like I had this really disappointing reunion and then I was having to look at these rushes that's when I decided for for sure that I didn't want to be a director well that's when I said I decided for sure I didn't want to be a director and then I went to direct (laughs) when you had to cut it yeah when I had to cut it and I thought well shooting it I got it you know I did the thing there and that's that's the amount yeah. of engagement I want and the connection I want but past that I didn't want to carry on being in that process and that's when I was like okay if that's how you it in a reductive way the difference between a director and a DP then I want to be a DP I don't want to be a director <laughs> well, you, well you, you, you did a very good job anyway and uh, you know putting it together I watched them um, I watched you talking about um making Cara the um oh, and it, the, the talk you did for it's nice that yeah. and um I, I, I love the bit where you you were talking about styling 
the film. Yeah. And, um, it's really not, your, your dad only left a few things behind, didn't he, when he died? But you, yeah. you kind of built a lot of the aesthetic decisions. Yeah. Around those objects. And he's, uh, th- he had that book, didn't he? The, the yeah. yellow and green book. Yeah. Uh, mm. Which had a, a resemblance to his favorite beer, too. Yeah. Uncanny. <laughs> <laughs> Uncanny. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So he, he, he loved Holston Pills, which is yellow and green. And, yeah. and there's this yellow and green book. And you, you sort of, um, yeah. you, you, you took that palette, didn't you, for the kitchen? Yeah. For the kitchen and also for the poster and uh, little bits here and there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, yet those, also that yellow and green is like, I feel like we don't really see that kind of combination that much in life. Um, mm. And it's a very Indian combination as well. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, that's why I guess we don't see it so much. And, and I really love it. I think that there's something about in- Indianness that, like, even in darkness and in, like, um, even in, like, sort of misery and that there's always this, like, really vibrant colour. So, mm. like, I remember seeing in um, every time I go to India, my uh, labourers, that migrate from other states to cousin, my cousin's farms who are like the sort of, I guess, the, the poorest of the poor in India who live like hand, you know, hand to mouth. Yeah. They will be, yeah, they'll work the fields and they'll have like the weight of the world on them, but they will be dressed in like the brightest colour. You know what I mean? And, then, yeah. and, and, and usually smiling as well, but like yeah. uh, at, at least like the brightest colour. And it's always just been such an interesting thing for me, like for somewhere that's so rife with like poverty and, you know, sadness, yeah. it's like really, really colourful. And I never wanted to lose, never want to lose that in mm. um, the images that I make. Yeah. Um, because yeah. I think that that, can sort of I think they should if if it's a sign if it, if you think of it as a sign of hope then I think that's really that can be really powerful. Absolutely. Well, I got to tell you, sitting in uh, rainy Wales <laughs> on a December morning, I could certainly do with some uh, some zingy colours. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I've got my yellow sweatshirt on at the moment, which is See? my 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 best go at sort of bringing a bit of colour to the morning. I think it makes uh, a difference. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. Because yeah, we need it, we yeah, need it. We do. So you've um, you've done a you know you've done a bunch of other work since. There's there there are music videos and, uh, and commercials and some short films, and it, one of those in particular we'll talk about. But I, I was trying, I was looking at your work and sort of trying to put a finger on um, your style. And mm. um, I guess the thing that strikes me is um, it feels quite um, it feels unforced. You know, it doesn't feel sort of overly lit or sort mm. of stylized there's mm. um there's a kind of uh sort of immediate quality to it i, I guess it's what you're saying earlier about getting close to people and mm. um, I, I sort of feel that in your in your filmmaking oh i'm glad i'm glad i'm i'm glad i think that um i may be not the most uh definitely not the most technical um technically experimental when it when it when it comes to um yeah, I think that I've never been um, led by uh, sort of uh, devices that are available, gear you know, and stuff, gear yeah. and stuff like that. Which is yeah. obviously there's an argument. There's no, I don't think there's a debate. I think what's amazing about cinematography is there's like there's room for the full spectrum. You can be any mm. kind of cinematographer, and that's fine. Um, and I think that 
I think it's a combination of things. I think that I always want to keep everything close to uh, about the story and the people. And I struggle to find a way to do that while also being technically experimental. I always find that uh, for me, it feels like one will take over, one can take over the other, Mm -hmm. um, uh, a style or or a technique over. And I think, um, yeah, I think that there is, there definitely is a beautiful point between the two. I think um, Benoit's, uh, Benoit Benoit does it really amazingly. I think um, mm-hmm. where he sort of uses amazing lighting, but it's still really intimate and human. Um, and yeah, so that that's what I guess it comes down to. I have I have um, with commercials. I've sort of pushed it. I have sort of um, experimented a little more, but I always find that I'm just happiest when I'm close close to the actors. When I'm right. when I when I when I sort of um, move away from them and there's all this kit that gets between like me and Mm. us and us and the actors I don't know I just I started on this on this like whole adventure because I love people and community and story so then when like all this gear comes in I'm like oh no but like we're not not family anymore you're over there and I'm over here (laughs) um and I love talking to the actors and like uh, or cast or you know with commercials it's usual actors it's street cast and that's even more interesting because a lot of the time you're talking to young people you're talking to people from um, communities and you know just like not professional actors who've got their own yeah. huge like life stories and um, yeah as soon as you co- sort of put, put all this stuff between you guys um, and maybe that's not the right approach for commercials and music videos because they are so much about the idea and the technique and those things. Um, and I do think that my, the future of my career is, is, is certainly in long form. But um, yeah. but I've tried to find, you know, make it work in, in the short form. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think, yeah. Well, you, you see that right from Cannes, don't you, I think? That yeah. Sort of, that intimacy. And, and um, it, 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 it's, um, it's, it's, it sort of uh, works brilliantly in, in in goldfish that, that that's an incredible film it's um it's re- re- really powerful extraordinary story isn't it of, of t- it's kind of um was it, it's really about two young black men yeah. who one of whom um i don't know how much we should say i don't want to spoil it for uh, people. Yeah. <laughs> but their, their, their lives because people hopefully people watching it listening to yeah. people watch it but their lives become entwined yeah they? yeah um, and but but you um in the shooting of that, it's um, you know it looks great, but you are you're very close a lot mm. of the time to the mm. to the lead actors. Mm. Mm. How, how was how was it to work on that film? That was um, that was a really special project because we'd made a documentary about Rajay. Rajay was a really good friend, uh, is a school friend of the director, writer director Hector Dockrell, right? And um, Hector's a good friend of mine too. And we'd made a we had made a documentary about Rajay when he'd been stabbed and when he'd come out of hospital, and he just told us the story of what had happened. And he ha- he decided not to retaliate, which Hector we all obviously everyone found super inspiring yeah. um, with everything that's been with, with the problems that there are in London with um, gang violence. So we made this documentary about him just to celebrate him and to hopefully spread this message of like how you can end that cycle of violence, and then. Um, so we'd already kn- we knew him. We, he was a friend. He was a really good friend of Hector's, and me yeah. and him kept in touch. So when we made that, and we cast him essentially as himself, but as a fictionalized ver- version of himself, um, that whole process was so amazing because it's, it was all in South London, up the road from where we live, like you know, in our in our local area, with yeah. um, 
with like Raja and his friends who we, I know some of them, Hector knows all of them. And a story that's like really, really close to close to home for both Hector and Raja because they've lived it, lived through it. And, yeah. um, and then on our side, just like something where my group of friends is really passionate about. It was just really amazing to be that close, that, to, to have such a huge street cast not none of them, pretty much none of them, even the girl wasn't a professional actor. And then she's brilliant. Yeah, and she's amazing. And like through that, sorry, Wumi is obviously the only one that is a mum. And to see what like, um, to see what just like untrained actors are capable of and how much, what you can do without any of the things that, you know, none of us went to film school or drama school and and it was nominated for a BAFTA and a BIFA and and um, uh, among other things and it was just really it just felt like a real moment of like what you can do and what you can achieve when like a, a community comes together mm-hmm. when like you really yeah. really are a community and you really do care about each other and look after each other and keep in touch with each other and like are um yeah that's that that's what and it and it feels like so much of the success of Goldfish it wouldn't have happened if we didn't really, if we just bowled in and street cast some young black men that we didn't really know or have a connection to because mm. we wanted to tell the story. I don't believe that we would have made the same film. I think it's because yeah. Hector has maintained a relationship with his childhood friend and we've all stayed in touch with each other and we all actually care about each other that you get a film like that. And um, yeah. that was really amazing. The process of making it was was, was so amazing. It, just, it was so authentic it was authentic because like they really they were barely acting really um right. like you know when they're hanging yeah, around you get that. yeah, yeah. When, they, when they're just in a group in the in the bedroom yeah the TV on in the background that's his and house. then in then in the street it's his house yeah right? that's his own so that was raj's own bedroom and that is exactly wow. what they do so it's the same it's the, it's the it's his sister and his cousin who live there at the house his sister does his hair his friends are always at the house his but his room is the spot where everyone or his sister's room is the spot where everyone chills i think and and that friend that he's got the tension with who's saying he should retaliate is in real life was also the guy that was like, we need to, we need to do something about this. So the whole thing is so, so much of it is like really um, led also by like Rajay said, well, you know, if there was one person that was like riling me up, it was da da da. And it was my sister who was saying we shouldn't retaliate. So it was all written in, you know, with Rajay sort of, um, uh, truth as well. So, um, it was really amazing. Like I think, I think with if we're if we're talking about telling, especially if there's stories about like black pain or um, about a community, a marginalized community's pain or struggle or anything like that, I think that that goldfish is um, in some ways like I think a good example of how to do it. Just you know having yeah. a long-standing relationship with the non-actors and um, yeah. Yeah, and just you know, we've look, we've tried to do look after Rajay. Like we we always try and get him in music videos and put him in front of agents. Like it wasn't a case of just putting him in the film and then like yeah. not it feels him. feels feels like it comes from a place of truth. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think you feel that. Um, yeah, as you yeah. watch it, and 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 just on the on the technical side, there there are a few um, really nice shots in that. But there's there's, there's the one. Um, uh, it's sort of like in the fish tank yeah yeah that's that's quite a beautiful shot yeah they they put a fish tank on the estate they put a massive human size tank on the estate and then uh filled it up with water i think they had a behind the scenes somewhere and then he he 
YJ can't swim and he certainly can't swim underwater. Well, no, he can, maybe he can swim, he can't swim underwater. And right. um, so that was really tricky for him because he'd never done that before. He'd never like done the thing where you hold your breath and you let it out and then you sink to the bottom. Wow. It's stressful for, for anyone that can't swim underwater. Yeah. And so that was like quite mad. It was like at night on an estate around the corner from his um, the with, whole, a, with a film crew with a film crew and a massive <laughs> fish tank a human sized fish tank and like everyone watching and then obviously the blood and like you know the the, the timing of that um, because once once you've once you have made the water dirty you can't do it again so it was a really Gosh, yeah. really tense moment um, but yeah he, he nailed it um, yeah. and that was really nice we just put it we placed it in front of the estate um, so you could just see the lights behind it um, yeah, but we didn't want really, yeah. It's a great shot. Yeah, that was hectic. That was, that was all. I think with Robbie always taught me that you know, not not taught me, but I always observed that he would say, "You're only not you're only as good as your director." But you know, people say, "Oh, that's amazing, and that's amazing," and um, and you, I always heard Robbie saying, um, "Oh, it was all the director," and I know exactly what he means because you know, you get sort of uh, complimented on on shots and things like that, and then you know that nine times out of ten a lot of the time the directors mm. um and di- the director you like, i feel like i can't take the, i can't take the uh compliment for that one <laughs> well it's it's a, it's a really interesting relationship isn't it and one i guess people who haven't worked in film may not understand so much but you 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 have the director who has the sort of overall responsibility for, for kind of everything <clears throat> and creatively and then um and then the director of photography, which is, which has been your role on that, was, was on Goldfish, and and that's that's you're you're, you're in charge of the the look, aren't you? Really? If, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and how how have you? What have you learned about how to be with a director? How to how to get the most out of that creative relationship? Um, I think, again, I think that I've always, and I think I'm really, really, really so. Um, privileged to have been Wobby Ryan's trainee and um and just friend and have him so close to me in my life and seen like the sort of um, honesty and humility and um yeah honesty humility purity and um yeah those things that he works with directors on and he really understands his position as a DP which is like to you know you to execute the director's vision and not be too um well he doesn't have an ego when it when it when it comes to work he has no ego right. he doesn't have a sort of like oh but i think we should i've never heard of it. i think we should do it like this he's always listens and then he responds according accordingly and sensitively yeah. and i think that's um something that i have really learned um and i think i, I that really resonated with me um oh. and i think i've sort of put that into practice with when I work with directors and it's to to listen and respond and then throw in um you know a new idea if it's appropriate and when it's appropriate mm. but generally just to to listen and to really try and ask all the right questions that get you inside the director's head as much as you can um so that's what I am um, yeah, that's that's that that's been it. Right, I think over the last few years is really not try to impose my way of doing things and understand that I'm there to be a, a pair of eyes and a problem solver and a collaborator, but not like 
not the captain of the ship. Because it's uh, a lot. A lot of people I've interviewed for this series um, mm. are, are work independently. You know, they're, they're writers or artists, mm. or, or composers. Um, but on a on a film set, it's it's very much a team, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's, um, it's a it's a collaborative creation. Massively. And when and when that works well it's it's a beautiful thing isn't it it's amazing uh, they, because it becomes greater than the sum of its parts yeah yeah it totally does and that's the god that's like that's when you're like but when you leave a, a shoot and you're buzzing and you're like it's because it like this synchronicity happens and like it becomes mm. this well-oiled machine and you almost don't even need to like you know you just turn around and like look at your gaffer and they'll know what you know before you said anything right. they know what they're doing and um and like, you know, when you get a take wrong, like if I've, you know, if I'm shooting a take and I've operated it badly, I'll look at it, you know, and I know that I've missed a beat or something. I'll like, before the director has even said anything, I'll turn around and go, yep, I know I missed him on the, <laughs> and I, that's yeah. really amazing. That is really, that's, that I think is what, what we live for, I think. And yeah. that's why it's so addictive. Um yeah. And it's harder to get that on short for on on short uh, on ads and music videos because it is just like kickball scramble. But um, yeah, but yeah. you yeah that that's really what what I try to get. And I think that um, the best I can do is get really um, up to speed with. Well, yeah, trying to get inside the director's mind and really understand what he or she yeah. is trying to say and do, and then do everything I can to be um, a very useful cog in in the machine. Um, yeah. and it begins as you say it begins with listening doesn't it that's, yeah that's maybe the most important skill yeah. is just just to be able to listen and hear yeah what the intention is um, yeah so let, well let, let's let's talk about um commercials as well I, I and i i've you know i first came across your work with viva la volva um, <laughs> which i i think is one of the best ads of the last few years for, for anybody <laughs> who's not seen it, it's for the breast which is female sanitary products isn't it and yeah. it's um it's like it's it's one of the most joyful ads um, yeah. I've seen. We we've got sort of singing vulvas and uh, yeah. <laughs> oysters and and purses and um, there's there's it looked like a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny people say that. Oh, it must have been so much fun. No, it was really stressful. <laughs> um, it was amazing because because we knew what we were shooting was going to make so many people smile, and I right. think that. Um, in advertising, I think if you're make if you're selling a product, I think the least you can do is make someone smile and make yeah. someone feel good and and genuinely actually empower someone. Um, if that you know, if millions of people are going to see it, then you then that's like sort of I guess your duty to it's, do that. It's an opportunity, isn't it? Yeah, 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 space yeah. You have. yeah. Yeah, and I think that often ads. Um, maybe don't do that they sort of you know go slightly different way about you know trying to be cool or something like that and I loved that this almost was like almost anti-cool you know what I mean like it was like yeah. really just like silly and like nothing about it was like cool like it was just yeah. funny and silly and like um and then and just uplifting and um and it made you love it just made you love. I think I don't know a single person that hasn't seen it. It's like it makes you love your vagina. It genuinely does. Um, but when we were shooting it, or lo- love being a woman anyway, it makes you love being a woman. And um, but when shooting makes me it, wish I had one. Yeah. Well, I didn't want to speak on behalf of men, but we were hoping it would have that effect. Um, but um, 
Yeah, it was hard because it was the hottest day of the year. It was the hottest right. two days of the year. It was like 36 degrees or whatever it was two years ago. We were shooting in a, between a studio and a, and a uh, Hampton Court Park and it was just boiling hot and we had so much to get through. We had so many shots, to, sh- to you know, so, so many shots on yeah. this. We had a second unit on the studio day who did a lot of the sort of, clo- the sort of um, animation-y bits. Um, yeah. And um, I think we decided we'd go... Uh, again, simple, fo- fo- very photographic, and um, um, and just let the idea play out rather mm-hmm. than sort of try and get all tricksy. And I think where you've got post involved as well, there's always parameters with like what you can and can't do. Um, but yeah, we just we just um, said we'd keep it sort of really, I guess, again, honest, straight up, and just let the idea play out and not um, overcomplicate it and not. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and it was uh, it was hectic. It was really, really, really hectic. Right. But um, I, I'm surprised you shot it in two days. I, you know, looking at it, I would have thought it. Uh, yeah, it would have taken a bit longer. Than exactly. That. Yeah, it's three and a half minutes, which is uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, two two days with a second unit on one day, and um, shot it all on Panavision glass, as always. Um, and yeah, I think um, I probably put. You know, with the with the lighting on that, I went, and I think this is again where I think I am probably I am definitely probably better suited to narrative. But I think I with with the lighting on that as well, it was quite simple. And I guess how I would light, even with the animation scenes, I lit them. I imagine how I would probably light narrative scenes, um, yeah. not commercial scenes if that makes sense not not commercial shots if that makes sense like no very yeah. little like backlighting or flare or um yeah. things like that and it's quite matte like, like quite yeah. a, a matte look which isn't to everyone's taste i know and i know that like on commercials a lot of the time they they do like to see a lot more sort of glitz and glamour and um but it's funny that isn't it because because that that sort of style um it it, it it's it's quite a convention and, and and we're quite familiar with it and I yeah. think in a way that that sort of it, it puts it at a distance it, it kind of yeah. insulates you from it a bit yeah and um, I, I, and I, I, so I you know for me at least for my taste it's much more uh, much more vivid oh, and impactful I'm really glad you, you shot it yeah um, I'm really glad um, that you feel that way because I was well. I used to when I first started shooting. I'm thinking I'm not really a DP for advertising because <laughs> I because because I don't really have an interest in going like totally wild like crazy lighting setups and all that kind of stuff. But um, it's been really nice actually because I think what I've, what's happened is that you just sort of if you sort of stick to your guns, I guess, and you go, this is me. This is like. Um, where I'm in my element, then the right work gravitates towards um, the right work gravitates towards you rather than you yeah. trying to trying to tick all the boxes and trying to please yeah. everyone and trying to do these things that are out of your comfort zone and then you know you sort of lose yourself in it. And I sort of said to myself a couple of years ago, I said, I'm just gonna, I just have to do this. Stay with true. Yeah, stay true. Like do this with yeah. conviction. It won't be. To, it won't be to everyone's taste. Um, and that's fine. Like, you know, not, I think that a lot of the most, most interesting artists and creatives and things like that aren't to everyone's taste. Yeah. I, I was writing, um, an article of this week about, um, Enzo Mari. I don't know if you've come across him. He's an no. Italian designer. He said, when I design an object and people say, oh, well done, 
I unfailingly ask myself, where did I go wrong? <sighs> if everybody likes it, it means I've confirmed the existing reality. And this is precisely what I don't want. <gasps> I, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I really, really love that. I think, well, <laughs> Robbie once described, he said it a couple of years ago, but he said like, he said it was, he's described my work as ugly, actually, which I thought was brilliant. And I, and I thought that's really, I love that because obviously DPs are meant to make everything look beautiful. Yeah. And when Robbie said that, I saw it as a great achievement. I was like, that's great. Like if I, you know, because it's quite... <laughs> I'm happy to be, you know, the ugly TP. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's the thing, though, isn't it? You know, if you please everybody, then yeah. what you've got is pretty forgettable, probably, and pretty conventional. Yeah, and then you have to maintain that too. You have to maintain yeah. pleasing everyone, and then when you do something that doesn't please everyone, then it's like, oh, like she's, you know, they've fallen off, or like, oh yeah. god, that. Whereas if you start from a completely different place, then there's no marker to mark you against, and I think we live in a world that it's like so about like comparing or um giving people points or you know because of social media yeah. and it's always about like judging where someone's at or like the next project they've done and and if you just keep sort of going sideways <laughs> then, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then no one can judge you or mark your work or like you know co- you know uh give you a pat on that they'll just sort of go oh okay, that's interesting oh she's gone that way now and then she's absolutely got so that's um yeah, that's what my sort of take on it. So we, we've we've talked about some 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 of your you know some some of your favourite projects, I guess. And um, uh, we should talk about something that happened um, a couple of months ago. So on October the fifteenth, you you put a post up on Instagram, mm-hmm. and you described in that post how you had walked off a commercial, mm. which is which is a pretty exceptional thing to do. Can you? Can you tell tell us a little bit about what happened and, um, and why you took that decision? I really like that you called it exceptional. That's a really <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you've uh, you're in um, what do you call it? You support it. <laughs> I, I, I I do, and I, you know, I was I was really impressed um, by you doing that because having worked on sets and in the industry um, myself, I, I I know the pressure mm. to just sort of sit tight and conform and take it and, and and get on with the job but you 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 didn't yeah yeah tell us tell us a little bit about what happened um so it was a it was like like with most commercials a very um a very muddy situation where you have a gut feeling that you're not approaching the casting. Um, it's usually the casting with commercials, the casting yeah. the right way. And the, and the, there are two things with commercials that I really struggle with. Um, and one is the handling of casting and diverse, diverse casting. And the yeah. second is the use of social movements to sell products, which are two things that I think there are, there's they're fundamentally, uh, they're sort of, deeply unethical um yeah. one is like the use of uh, black skin black bodies to sell a product and and but without having an understanding of being black or having any care for the black community um and that happens a lot and then and the same for any dive any any anyone from a marginalized community whether they're disabled or whatever and then the yeah. second is yeah and that, and both essentially both of those things happen there was a sort of desire to okay. take the aesthetic of a marginalized community or a 
um, yeah, of, of a community that the director didn't understand or have proximity to or awareness of or particularly respect for, which was the, okay. I'd say the Nikabis. He made a com- he made a joke, which he said it was a joke about how he didn't care about offending super religious radical people, but he didn't mind putting them in his commercial because they because he liked the look of the you know he liked how the niqab he wanted right. the aesthetic of the niqab which is just fundamentally wrong i think sure. we can all agree on and um then the other thing was yeah just wanting to uh, paint you know do diversity tick boxing um without paying you know without paying the communities themselves any real respect and um none of it's illegal you're you're allowed to do it um but it's more I think it's morally wrong um and I just got to a point where I'd said to my I said to myself a couple years ago that um commercials are commercials they are fun they are exploitative in their nature but they also have huge mass appeal like you you could millions of people watch commercials around the world so you can like with Viva La Valva you can do something good with them and there's a way that you can use that um reach um, if you do it right, to actually do something good while selling a product. But there's a middle point where it's exploited, it's, it's actually just exploitative all the way through. And um, this was one of those jobs where it was like wanting to sell a product, wanting to tie the product to a social, to like the story of like female and arguably black empowerment, um, which has got nothing to do with a beauty product in the first yeah. place. Um, and then in the casting of it, wanting to represent, apparently represent faces and cultures, um, but without actually having any real respect for them outside of the shoot or respect or understanding from the shoot. So I flagged the things in prep and I said, um, I said that um, what I had problems with and they were, they listened on some occasions, they made jokes on other occasions, um, they were defensive on other occasions, but on the whole, there was a general lack of uh, urgency to address the um, the lack of understanding. So, mm-hmm. like, there was like, okay, cool, like, we'll get rid of that scene, and it, it and oh my god, like, okay. so you know, the 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 sort of behaviour towards me flagging these things wasn't what you would, um, what I needed to hear or feel to feel like these people are qualified to shoot this commercial now. Or, Got you, yeah. So they weren't addressing they, the, the deeper issues. Yeah, so. they weren't addressing the deeper issues. They were just going, okay, we'll get, okay, we'll get rid of that scene. Like, God, what do yeah. you want? And, you know, want to give a homeless man 500 pounds? I said, I'm not shooting a homeless man for a commercial. And they were like, what's, oh God, you know, like, um, you know what uh, we're gonna we're gonna make his whole month like and you're just everything we say you just got to put, you've got an issue with it and yeah. I flagged it and flagged it and I just thought I'm becoming this sort of like annoying social justice warrior which I am a social justice warrior but yeah. <laughs> shouldn't be made to feel like that's a bad thing yeah <laughs> um and um and so I sent an email and I expressed what my my, my experience was, uh, had been, and how I wasn't enjoying the process and how, how I don't believe that, that currently we have a team that represents who we're shooting. And um, I want to know that the shoot will be a different environment to the prep. Um, 
and the EP called and apologised. But I, again, there was no urgency. There was no apology or thank you from the main culprits who were the director and the first right. AD, who were the ones that hadn't listened and were being quite rude at times. So I didn't receive an apology from either of them or a thank you because I actually was probably getting that for them out of trouble on a few occasions too. And so I turned up on the shoot the day before and I said to myself, if I don't get the um, the genuine heartfelt um, not just apology, but of commitment to listen and do better and take um, potentially mine or another person of colour or woman's lead on things and really take our lead on it, seeing as it's a woman's commercial and a diverse commercial, then... And I wanted to, I wanted that to come from, I wanted to hear that from the first AD and the director without having to prompt them, without having to say, I want an apology. Yeah. Um, sure. Because I wanted to know that, yeah, that they were, you know, essentially truly going to be good, respectful people. Um, and that didn't happen. They did the same thing where they were like, well, we got rid of the scenes you didn't like, so what's the problem? And I thought, well, the problem is deeper than that because there's yeah. a, there's an issue with your with morality here, and and like you getting rid of the scenes doesn't 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 calibrate your moral compass. And so yeah. on the shoot, what do, what stops you from fetishizing the young black couple you've cast, and you know, like doing asking for strange, you know, like asking for things that I know will make the cast feel uncomfortable. Um, if you've got hijabis and you're asking them to do something that's like fundamentally un-Islamic then you're yeah. going to offend them and you're going to upset them and you're going to disrespect them and I'm, I, I won't be complicit in that and I won't be educating I'm not going to continue to educate over the course of the shoot um, and I was also exhausted by that point I was like creatively and emotionally drained because I'd spent six yeah. days like being quite Enough. yeah and I thought how am I gonna I'm supposed to be a DP, like I'm supposed to be inspired and thinking about how to make these scenes beautiful and all of this stuff. And I just wasn't thinking about any of that stuff. It all just became really political and um, personal and emotional and, um, you know, all of these things. And none of the, none of, nothing that he said personally was, was personally aimed at me. That wasn't like he personally offended me or Indian women or anything like that. It was just like this feeling that like, yeah, it was just 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 a bad yeah. gut feeling, and then I said I'm not the right DP for the job anymore, um, and I'm not going to deliver the images and the and the the film or the, the ad that you guys want and need, and it's a big budget, um, yeah. and yeah, and I walked and I just said I'm not yeah well, I'm not well done. Right. Just said that yeah that's thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I just said I'm, yeah that's yeah. I'm not the right cinematographer for the job anymore. Um, and it was a really, I didn't realize how rare that, how unusual that is. I really thought that that happened, um, a lot. Well, I, I, I've, I, you know, I, I worked in, in, in that industry for about 15 years, 20 years, and I, I hadn't come across it before. Yeah. So it, it's pretty exceptional. And I think a lot of people who don't work in TV or advertising might, think from the outside that actually it's 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 quite an enlightened industry but no it's not is it no and not at all i mean even even to work in commercials with it with a female dop is yeah is, is quite rare yeah yeah the world is the, the world is changing for sure like a friend mm. said to me three years ago two years ago you probably wouldn't have even got that job he's a big he's an ad giant he's one of the biggest ad stars mm. in the world apparently and um and so they were like, two years ago, you wouldn't have got the job. And now you can only get the job, but you can walk away from someone like him as a young woman of colour and know that you your career is not going to be in tatters. 
Um, and I think that it definitely would have had an impact because I publicized it. Um, well, I publicized that I walked off a job, which is a potentially career suicide thing to do. You know what I mean? So like, yeah don't hire i'm a high risk dp don't (laughs) hire me unless um but um but but how's how's the reaction been though to 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 that to your decision any any decision to go public with it um really amazing really really like well really inspiring and it's sort of made you know it's drawn it's brought to light how important this issue of ethics and advertising is um mm. and i'm certainly not gonna leave it at that i won't just walk mm. i say oh i've done my bit now i think i've started collecting stories from um people anyone that's working in advertising can write into an email address that i've set up um about their experience of unethical making um yeah. and yeah i think it's time to really start looking at it i think with advertising the expectations are uh, of ethics are low because it is a fundamentally exploitative industry yeah but i think that um what's happened with diversity and representation over the last few years is it's pushed the exploitative nature to it to a really uncomfortable point it's explo- it's always going to be exploitative you're selling products to people yeah. who don't need it but the making of it should it yeah. be exploitative? At least in the making, at least in that process of like engaging with cast, you yeah. and engaging with communities, we can try to offset the exploitation by doing, you know, by doing that the right way. And I think yeah. when you've got something, when you're already selling products that people don't need, and then on top of that, you're exploiting the people that you're using to sell the product, you're gonna, of course, you're gonna start you know you're going to start ruffling some feathers and I think that's what started to happen since it became trendy to be uh, to, you know since black became trendy or being ethnic became trendy or being a woman became trendy or a feminist or LGBTQ like since all that stuff become, has become trendy it's actually become what the, the exploitation has got worse yeah so, you really see the cynicism of the yeah. of the ad industry there don't you somebody once I, I can't remember who it was said um, a, a principle isn't a principle until it costs you something yeah and, and I think, you know, that that's true for brands, isn't it? Yeah. There, there's a lot of sort of box ticking goes on at the yeah. moment. And yeah. you know, Pepsi famously got it exactly. spectacularly wrong, didn't it, with yeah. that ad with Kendall Jenner. Yeah. But it's it's true. Um, it's true sort of personally as well, isn't it? And, yeah. I, and, and, and I guess that decision to walk yeah. could have cost you a lot. I mean, yeah. just, you know, financially in terms of reputation and stuff, but you yeah. you made the decision and, and, and hopefully yeah. you taking that decision and making it public will make more people yeah. inclined to, to to speak up yeah. when, when when the same situation happens again. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. And I'm and yeah, I made my peace with the impact it might have on my career. Uh, totally made my peace with it and I knew that it could potentially make things it could make me um, make people nervous to hire me and yeah and I thought well you know it's if that 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 someone has to do it someone's got to break the seal and uh, and say you can't just keep using us to you know cinematographers filmmakers people cast brown people women men whatever you just can't keep using us as cogs in the machine to to deliver these like really problematic um and make these really problematic um things and we are we're the makers and I think makers have so much more 
power than we are made to feel or believe yeah. I think like I think that we underestimate or we're not we don't underestimate but especially in advertising you're just everyone's at the mercy of the paycheck or everyone's at the mercy of the paycheck generally but if we all if all the people that make it just the people just crew alone who you know said like this is not right were you able to make anything <laughs> and <laughs> and then if yeah. you stop being able to make this stuff you have to think about what you're making and I yeah. think that that's what we um we should those of us that can afford to uh exercise the power that we have to really um make people think about what they're making yeah, yeah. and that I, I guess at the heart of it that's the truth isn't it that um when you are making something um whether that is a you know a film or a, or a book or e- or even a commercial you are mm. putting some creative energy yeah. into something you're yeah. bringing it into the world and it's an opportunity to um to make something which has some kind of intrinsic value that yeah that, that is, is 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 better for existing than not existing yeah yeah and i and it and it and if you're think if we talk about if the minute you put a camera you you're always shooting people right it's like people that Everything is like a camera and a person, a camera and a and a and a you know street cast, whatever, or an actor, or whatever. And like, if you just bring it back, just on a humanity level, and just think about like you know um, the the impact of that interaction of that that inter- the interaction between like the person in front of the lens and the camera. That's a big responsibility, especially if you're not dealing with um, professional actors. And even if you are dealing with professional actors, we're talking about like people's self-esteem, self-worth, things like that. Like we owe it to the players, the actors, the street cast, the people from the community um, to do them, not just do them justice, but to respect them. They're not like, they're not just toys or, you know, objects for our, to play with. And that's the thing for me that it always comes back to is just like, where even if it's actors, they're human beings, you know what I mean? That we're always shooting. Everything we do is centered around filming human beings and putting human beings on like a, and we owe those people, um, respect just on a human level and i think that if the minute that someone is is um suggesting that they don't have respect for that person then that's a bad sign i think in filmmaking across the board because then why are we making films <laughs> you know that that's why we're so many of us are making films because we're storytellers and we want to connect with people or people's yeah. stories um so yeah absolutely yeah I hope it. I well, hope it has a ripple effect. I think it feels, yeah. feels like it is. It feels like it's happening already. To be honest, like I think my agent has been getting emails from people saying like, right. oh, like I got an email from a producer the other day, and they were like, I "Just want to say we really respect Deepa's decision." And I thought, "Oh, that's really amazing." And I think there will be there will certainly be production companies and brands and agencies that um, won't work with me, and I'm totally fine with that. Well, that's that's cool in a way. I mean, yeah. that, that's that's just nice self selection. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you won't yeah. have to work with uh, with those kind of people anymore because yeah. they work. You know, they won't yeah. dare work with you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's perfect. It is perfect. So what? What's um? What 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 have you got coming up? What should we? Um, is there anything that we should be looking out for coming down the tracks? Or? I am shooting. Um, so I missed. I actually really missed music videos. Um, uh, I really missed doing lo- low budget music videos. So I'm doing a couple of those in the next in the coming weeks. Nothing, they're not anything big, but right. I'm excited about them just because it sort of takes me back to my roots. Um, yeah. You work with uh, Flahio a bit, yeah. You? Uh, she's amazing. She's amazing. I love her so much. I'm actually going to India in three weeks, so 
Um, oh, oh my God, I forgot, completely missed the huge project that I'm doing in India. <laughs> so what am I doing? Yeah, no, I'm doing, so I'm doing a, it's my own project actually. Um, okay. I'm making a, making a, a film, uh, a documentary visual essay I don't want to say it's any of those things but it's a it's my love and at the moment it's my love and heartbreak letter to India um okay but it might turn and and just be my love letter to India depending on what what happens and um with what's going on there um but I started a project last year uh, wanting to celebrate the culture of and the philosophy of the region that my family are from, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of like salt of the earth, very, um, yeah, salt of the earth. It's a they're, they're sort of the earth people. And uh, there's some photos on Instagram, isn't there? If, yeah, yeah, if, yeah. If, yeah. You, if people are listening to this, want to, yeah, 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 yeah. So you'll get to, yeah, you'll see on there exactly what kind of world it is. And um, yeah. wanted to celebrate that. And then a lot of things happen politically and it have, have been happening politically in India. It's sort of, it's become a, essentially a fascist regime or it's heading in the, in the direction of a fascist regime. And so it's changing a lot. And um, so then I ch- it completely changed and it became uh, the story of me becoming a, a woman in India and everything that India has taught me. Um, right. And... I guess me wanting to, uh, if I was having a conversation with India saying like, this is everything you taught me, please, um, please continue to, to, you know, to, to be the the thing that you taught me to be, which is like uh, loving, peaceful, um, you know, all of those things. So, so it's a sort of, I guess, a spiritual response to the uh, spiritual, emotional response to the political things that are happening in India. Um, So you'd um, be working on that on this trip? Yeah. So I've shot, I've done two trips already um, where I shot loads on 16, on 16 mil. And then um, I received some funding from the BBC, which is amazing. Um, um to get it off yeah to, to essentially make the whole thing but then so first it was all going to be shot on 16 and it was going to be a really tight sort of um, narrative but now that it's become looser and it's much more wider spanning it goes over my life essentially it's my life in India or like me becoming a woman through in, in India I've okay. got I'm go, I've gone into my archive which I didn't realize but I'd been shooting Every time I went to India, obviously I shot my iPhone or my 7D or mini DV or whatever yeah. whatever camera I had available at the time. Right. So I've actually got this amazing sort of not not amazing in that it's amazing footage, but just like <laughs> amazing like depth of you know what I mean like uh, volume, yeah. volume. I've got right wealth huge, of material. Yeah. yeah, you've got this like huge volume of like material, um, and and that is that is obviously so so great because i also didn't shoot it with the intention of it being archive of of it being used for a film if that makes sense mm-hmm. it's like really like yeah. raw archive okay which yeah. is really interesting yeah. when you look at it again yeah. in the sort of uh in terms of it where it could go in an edit it has like a whole new life you're like oh god that's a really right. interesting like observation or yeah, because we started talking about truth, didn't we? And I yeah. guess it, it, so to have stuff that's that's been shot with no in, like deliberate intention, yeah, is, is, is going to create a sort of authenticity and honesty, isn't it? Exactly, and I think that's um, 
that's that has been amazing to look at it and go oh I didn't really like that's so pure like there's no mm. you can tell there's no intention of trying to get it into an edit or part of a sequence right, yeah. or anything like that so I um so I've been archiving all of my footage um over the last couple of months and getting all the different laptops that were dead back to life and getting the <laughs> okay. getting the footage off them and um yeah now I'm so when I'm in India I'm gonna edit that I think um and probably shoot a little bit more but um that's that's a pretty big project because I would say it's been I've been working on it for a year but now thinking about it, I've probably been working on it for about a decade <laughs> um and then amazing off, yeah and then yeah. and then DP next year um uh I can't really say actually but there's a TV um there is a great, uh, really interesting potential prospect to shoot a um, a show that I really love. It's not confirmed yet, so I don't want to okay. uh, yeah, say jinx it loud, it. but jinx it, yeah. <laughs> but when I get back from India, in at the moment I'm getting back in February, um, I would definitely like to focus on uh, long form and yeah. long form, then, then at least narrative shorts and things like that. Amazing. Well, it's been a, a real privilege to talk to you this oh, morning. Uh, it's been you. really enjoyable uh, as well. Uh, and I think you're, you know, you've, you've made some fantastic work already. And uh, I'm really excited to see what you do next. Um, and I, I, I love the way you approach things. So um, thanks, Deepa. Have, have an amazing trip Thank in India. Thank you so much. I'm so uh, yeah. humbled that you wanted to chat. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully you keep in touch. And um, yeah, yeah, hopefully you'll see some something from India at some point in the future. <laughs> I, I'm very jealous. I could do with it. I could do with a good hit of India myself. Oh, uh, you've got but, um, get out there. <laughs> All right, Richard. Thanks, Deep. Have a good day. Lovely to chat. Take care. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. So there we go. What an excellent human being. I really hope you enjoyed that. And if you have ever experienced unethical behaviour yourself on set that's made you feel uncomfortable, then let Deepa know. You can email her at advertisingethics at protonmail.com. That's advertisingethics at protonmail.com. This is going to be the last Wind Thieved Hat of 2020, but hopefully not the last one ever. I've really enjoyed talking to the brilliant people who've been good enough to give me their time. And if you've enjoyed any of the episodes, then please do share them and please do leave a review. I'm told it makes a big difference. My community of listeners is small but passionate and um, it would be a wonderful thing to um, make that community a little larger in 2021. It's been a weird year and one which has made us appreciate why we need art, music and performance more than ever. And that at least is a good thing. Sending you peace, love and good health wherever you may be. Until next year, goodbye.